0: Our text this morning will be in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's stand together as we read it. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be reading verse 10 through verse 13 this morning. It's wonderful how the Lord works um, in songs that were uh, chosen to sing for worship in themes for both the devotional and for this morning Sunday school class all are hitting on what has been on my mind for the past week or so, and so I see the Spirit leading in that, and I pray that He would lead our minds together. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start reading in verse 10 through verse 13. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil." For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I ask now for your blessing on this message, I ask for clear hearts and clear minds that you would keep the distractions away, help us to learn from your word this morning and to be taught by your spirit, moved by by your touch, Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes and open our ears just now that we might be faithful servants to you. Give me strength to say what is needed. I ask all this in your name, Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. I've started many sermons over the past years. Um, with the phrase, "this we live in a crazy world, or we live in a strange world. It's all, there's, there's quite a few that have been a- along that lines. starting uh, a sermon with that. and I think I say it so much because it's true. The world is strange. <laughs> the world is crazy. The world is sinful. It doesn't get any less true. It seems to be more and more true, even as we go along. I was looking at sermons from oh, almost 10 years ago when I... First surrendered to preach, and one of the first couple sermons was started with that. We live in a strange world. Well, now here ten years later, it's even more so, right? But today I want to add to that collection, I guess, if you will, or that string, is that we live in a dark world. We are living in a world of ever-increasing darkness. It's not getting lighter It's getting darker. Like a day when a storm rolls in. If you've ever been outside and the sun is shining and all of a sudden the clouds come in and if it's a big storm it gets um, ever increasingly darker till where it's almost like twilight outside and it could be at noon. As the sun is covered and as the clouds come in, everything takes on a grayer tone, doesn't it? To where you kind of lose track of time. You don't know if it's 1, if it's 2, if it's 3, or if it's already 5 in the afternoon because of the light being blocked out. And this world is already dark and it's getting darker. And from time to time, we need to stop and to address the darkness around us. We need to address this present darkness. When it says there are rulers of the darkness of this world, in the original, it has the the phrase, the rulers of this present darkness. And it's important that we we stop and we at least address what's going on because it helps to give us um, a, a foundation. It helps to give a tone to the instruction that we receive. We've been talking about for the past few months um, in the book of Romans about walking in the Spirit and not walking in the flesh. How the call is to, to reckon ourselves alive to Christ and dead unto sin there's a reason why that must happen. It's not just to, to say something on a Sunday, but we must live spiritual. We must follow the Spirit and not the flesh because we live in a world of darkness. And Because if we are not careful, that darkness could draw us in as well. We need to take time to call it what it is. And make clear our role as God's people in all of it. We live in a dark world. It's not good. Period. It's not good. Well, you know, I, I don't. are you sure, Pastor? I mean, come on, my, my life's pretty good. I got a stable job. I got a good family and good friends. I, it's fine. Are you really... Really sure it's that dark? Listen, any look outside at the current state of the world lets us know very quickly what's going on. And I think Satan's done a good job. Listen, man, he's not a novice, he knows what he's doing. He's done a good job of lulling us to sleep, singing lullabies in our ears of materialism and apathy. That stuff matters and you really don't have to care about anybody else. He's done a good job of hypnotizing us with devices or dollars. He's kept us scatterbrained by schedules to the point where all of it just makes us numb. We don't really care about the evil around us. We don't really care about the state of the world around us. We don't care about the people it's taking down with it. We get mad when someone calls us out. We get mad at the scripture that would expose things. Oh, he's done a great job. And perhaps it's time for us to wake up. This world is in darkness. It is in spiritual darkness. It is in moral darkness. The world is not enlightened. The world is blinded. People will tell you today that they, they know more now. They know better now. Their eyes are open more. This, no, their eyes are blinded. They are in spiritual darkness. You see it in society. You see it in laws. You see it in leadership. And we here in America seem to keep it off for quite some time. To keep it at bay by God's grace, but that time now is no more. The darkness is here. And I want you to know first that this is a demonic darkness. This is a demonic darkness. Look in verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He says, Paul here uh, speaking to the church at Ephesus, he says, listen, we are wrestling against something. And that's exactly what it sounds like. And not WWF or WWE or whatever it is now and clotheslines and DDTs and stuff I grew up watching. No, this is like high school wrestling. Constant contact. Constant grappling. Constant struggle. We are wrestling against something as God's people. If we care. I know many of God's people just lay flat down on the mat and don't give a rip what happens around them. But if we are in the game, if we are caring about our own spiritual life, we are struggling against something. Well, who are we struggling against? What are we struggling against? What does he say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not people necessarily. We have a tendency to single them out, right? There's some on TV or some in Washington or maybe even some in your own job. I don't know. That we single out and say, they are evil and sometimes we want to battle against a person, we need to understand, it's not necessarily the person. There could be something behind the person. You understand? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against more than that. And these words he lists here, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness, all of that, that's speaking of demonic powers. Satanic forces, Satan's influence in this world. Listen, demons and fallen angels and evil spirits, whatever you want to call them, they are very much real and very much active in the world around us. Doesn't the Bible tell us that there are things that we term guardian angels? The Bible tells us He will send His angels to keep watch over these. Let's just talk talking more than just a prophet or a pastor. I think that's actually talking about His angels that watch over us and that guard us and that keep us. Well, the Bible also tells us about fallen angels that would seek our harm. These demons or fallen angels are active in the world around us. Make no mistake about that. And these verses give the sense, as other verses in Scripture do, that Satan has his own structure. He has his plan. Satan has his own rules, rule, rules and rulers that he himself uses to battle God's truth. Principalities, the word there, speaks of order, of chiefs, of heads of different areas, powers, those who exercise authority against rulers of the darkness of this world. Listen, when Paul wrote that, he could very well have been referencing Satan himself as Satan is the ruler of the darkness of this world. He is the God, little g, of this age, the prince of the power of the air. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these things. And it's that last one there in verse 12 that should cause us to notice. Spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, Paul uses that phrase in this very same book, in Ephesians chapter 2. And let me read it to you. See if you can spot it. Even when we were dead in sins, He has quickened us together with Christ. By grace He are saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's the same word. It's the same phrase. And Paul uses it in the beginning to speak of the church. He has caused us to be born again and has seated us in heavenly places. I believe that talks about the body of Christ here. His church. You see, it's not just political... Areas. It's just not governmental or moral or societal areas that Satan's influencing. He has his influence in religion as well. Spiritual wickedness in high places. He is seeking to destroy God's truth everywhere that it might be found. And at the same time seeking to exploit the other enemy that we have. We'll talk about that later, but that's our own sin too. Listen, Satan is not to blame in everything. We have our own sin that's just as bad and gets us into trouble every time. And Satan is seeking to use that within ourselves. We are wrestling against that. And let me make clear this morning, the attack is now in full swing. It's been building for some time, I think. There have been uh, skirmishes here and there, little battles here and there over time. Heated pockets of battle that flared up. I'm thinking of evolution when it, uh, well, it's kind of always been an ongoing battle. I'm thinking of the inerrancy of Scripture, oh, about five or ten years ago. That was a big debate that was out there. Or the virgin birth of Christ, or different things that that could come up along the way. But let me make clear this morning, we are right in the middle of all-out war. There's no more little battles. This is a war. It's going on around us. You cannot escape it. You cannot get away from it. It is everywhere. The world is in darkness and this wrestling now has gone straight to fighting. There will be no truces. There will be no treaties. There is a full scale attack on biblical truth and it is in full swing. It is a battle of good versus evil, of truth versus lie. On the side of good, God's people. And I say that specifically, God's people. Not just people who look like God's people, God's people. We are called to do some things which we have failed miserably. You know what an excuse is? A skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. I love that. I love that definition. We have a lot of excuses where we have failed to take our place on the front lines of this battle. On the side of good is God's people, His Word, His truth. On the side of evil, Satan and his demons. I don't say the world I'll say it now and I'll say it again later. Listen, the world is blinded by Satan. They don't know any better. They don't know any better. They are blinded to the truth. And his attack is very organized. It's not in any way haphazard or off the cuff. It's specific. It's pointed. It's intentional. And it's aimed at the very foundation of all truth. He is coming and attacking the Bible. Bit by bit, brick by brick, he is trying to take that foundation away from all of society. And I want you to notice this morning some of the areas he is attacking that we are living in right here and right now. This is not your father's battle. This is not your kid's battle. It's yours. It's mine. And it's time to wake up and take up arms against this. Genesis 1 1. Turn there. Here's what Satan can't stand the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. Because he has no part of that. God is why he is. He can't create God, he can't surpass God. God is. God always has been. That's what makes him God. And the Bible, to anyone, anywhere, across all time, who will ever open it to page 1, will be assured of that by reading the first four words. In the beginning, God. God was there before the beginning. And because of Him, all things are created. What does it say in Genesis 1.1? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Plain, simple, easy to understand. My kids have understood that from the time that they could speak We've grown up with that truth. No, it is knowable. It is understandable that God made everything. And what has the attack been? To deny the creator. Evolution points directly at that. See, if you can deny a creator, then you can deny accountability to anybody. If we have just all evolved, then I don't have to answer to whoever this God is. Darwin made this clear in his own writings, in his own musings on it, and it's just snowballed from there. Elaborate claims, very elaborate claims have been made about how everything came from nothing. There is no concrete theory, I guess that's an oxymoron, but... There is no hard and fast theory about the Big Bang. Nobody can agree on that. Oh, it just happened. Well, what was there before? Something small. Well, what, 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 what made something small? Well, we don't know. What do, you, what do you mean? You call yourself a scientist. You've got letters after your name. You can't explain something that you say everything came from? I can explain it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And it takes less faith for me to believe what the Scripture says than to believe some of these crazy Theories that they come up with about a fish getting hit by a ray of sunlight and growing a pimple, which became an eye. Really? Or a dinosaur laid an egg that became a frog. These are scientific people with big brains and degrees say this. What? It takes more faith to believe that. And by the way, there's not an evolution fact, it's still an evolution theory. Hasn't anybody woke up to that yet? I don't call mine a theory. It's creation. <laughs> and the Bible tells me so from the beginning, but Satan can't stand that. So there is an attack against that. To deny the Creator. To deny this very foundation. And evolution flies in the face of verse 26. What does it say in one twenty-six? And God said, Let us make man in our image. And after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Here's what evolution and science today would have you to believe. You are only barely higher than the animal kingdom. And that only by chance. That is what their main tenet of the theory of evolution is chance. You understand that? You're an accident. Humanity is an accident. We barely got above the monkeys because, well, I don't know, chance. You're simply just a more intelligent animal. That's all you are. Rather than specifically, intentionally, lovingly created in the very image of your Creator. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let us set him in a place that has dominion. Creation values humanity as it is. A loving creation of God, given purpose, lovingly designed, not an accident. And this is being taught to our children as truth from a very... Early age. Look in verse 27. And so God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He them. The very recent, very recent transgender movement claims that there are 58 genders. No, wait. 63. No, wait. It's over 100. You see, no one seems to know I've even heard 1,200. No one seems to know. It's not that hard. I'm, I'm, I, maybe I'm just a foolish, dumb preacher, but it's not that hard. You're the one of two. Either male or you're female, boy or girl. If it's, not, if it's that hard for you to see, I can tell you how to check. It's not that hard. One to two. And created so by God. In the beginning, God created them male and female. Now, there might be some confusion because of sin. Sin is messed up. I'm not going to say that sin cannot have its effects. There can be some willing choices because of wanting to live a certain way. But in the end, scientifically provable there's only one of two and they would teach my children different they would allow someone to come in the bathroom around my daughter it's different this world is dark this world is dark and too long we've sat quiet to say no no That is not what the Bible says. No, that is not true. And no, you will not do this. Look in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 21. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib the Lord God had taken from the man, he made a woman and brought her unto the man. Oh, that's a beautiful scene right there. He brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh." This is the beautiful divine sanctity of marriage. There in the garden, pre-sin, pre-fall, designed by God, joined by God, one man and one woman to live together for life, joined spiritually, joined physically. This is a battle that's been raging for a very long time. Marriage has long been under attack. Think of it. Divorce. We're to the point now where divorce eclipses successful marriages more people will get divorced and they will stay together. Adultery. Sex outside of marriage. Fornication. Sex before marriage. Pornography. Homosexuality. The attempt at redefining a marriage. All of these are aimed at destroying this biblical foundation. You see, if you destroy the family, you destroy the society. Why do you think crime rate is high? Why do you think families continually to perpetually fail? Is because of the attack on this very foundational building block of marriage, and I think we've done a pretty great job at doing that. Job or whoa, whoa Genesis 1.28 one more for you to see. And God blessed them. Talking about Adam and Eve. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moved upon the earth. They are blessed to bear children, right? Be fruitful and multiply. You can't do that if you kill them before they're born. It's God's plan that we bear children, not kill children. Listen very closely. He or she, not it. He or she, not it. He or she is a child at conception. The Bible is clear about that. From the very earliest book written. Genesis isn't the first book written. It's Job. Job is written probably about the time, oh, I'm saying Genesis 11, Genesis 12, like right after maybe the Tower of Babel. Very soon after the flood, okay? Job lives in that time period. At that time in history, very early on in history, he understands some things, evidently, that our society has forgotten. Listen to what he says. The thine hands, thine hands have made me and fashioned me together round about. In 31 and 15, He says, Did he? Did not He that made me in the womb make Him? Did not one fashion us in the womb? You understand that? He understands every child is a creation of God at conception. And throughout Scripture, it's clear, it's in Isaiah, it's in Jeremiah, it's in David, writes in Psalms in 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You've heard that, haven't you? He's talking about in the womb. Jeremiah says, It was you who knew me, you who formed me. All the world comes up with terms, terms like fetus, or matter, or viable. He or she is a child. And to terminate his or her life demands the same term used for terminating any other human's life. Murder. Abortion is murder. It is infanticide. Killing an infant. And the vast majority of these murders are not committed because of extenuating circumstances that they they want to put out there. It's committed for one reason. Selfishness. I had sex and I don't want to have a child. I don't want to spend the money. I don't want to get caught. I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to have to fill in the blank. It's about the person, not the child. Perhaps if people would control their bodies a little bit more, they wouldn't have to worry about killing babies. The world says it's okay and it's a right and we've been silent too long. Millions, if not billions, of little babies that have gone into the presence of God at the hands of their own mothers. Oh, heaven's filled with them. And He welcomes each one with open arms and a a love that only God can give. But what have we done? How have we stayed so silent? All of these foundations are under attack. That's the day that we live in. And for me to stand here and say the things that I've just said makes me evil to the world. But it's biblical truth that's there from page one. It says these things from page one. And yet, they've been under attack. They've slipped away. That's not the only thing that's under attack. Spiritual truth, man's sin nature, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the identity and authority of His called out ones, who she is to be, what she is to do, all of these things, things we don't have time for this morning, they're just as much under attack and have been equally damaged. The world is dark and it's getting darker. Darker. We cannot stick our head in the sand and say it's good. And here we are right in the middle of it. So, what do we do? What do we do? Nothing? That hasn't worked. Too often we stay silent, hoping somebody else will take up the fight. And they have, thank God. They have. But it's not their fight, it's ours. You understand that? It's our fight. We, as God's people, need to be on the front line, not somebody else. Ye are the light of the world. He didn't say the world is the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world. Listen to what he says You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hell, on a. Whoa. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel or a basket, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are to shine as a light in the darkness. Not to cover up our light, only to let it out here and there. No, it needs to be on a candlestick, lifted high so that it might shine in the world around us. The fight is too big. You say, we can't win that. What am I supposed to do? Hmm. Gideon said the same thing, didn't he? You want me to do what? I'm the littlest guy. I'm the least of my tribe. Didn't the disciples say the same thing? Hey, go feed these 20,000 people. We can't do that. All we got is this little stuff. What is that among so many? We might come up for reasons why not, but do we not understand who we are? Don't you know who you are? Do you not know who you serve? What does it say in verse 10? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We are to be strong in Him. Doesn't the Bible tell us, greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world? And He says in Ephesians, and listen to this, that you may know the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and set Him at His own right hand. Listen to what Paul says. Far above all principality, all power, all might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And He hath put all things under His feet, and caused Him to be the head over all things, to the church Christ already stands in victory over anything that would oppose us. You understand that? Oh, we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against rulers. But Christ already stands far above all of that. To the church. We are not powerless. We stand in His power. Do we understand that? Or do we think God can't win? Do we think God's already lost? Do <laughs> you think any of this is a problem for God? He spoke all things into existence. Oh, there's movies going around where people have to snap. God doesn't. He speaks. He thinks. And it's done. You think any of this is a problem for him? You think any of this is a struggle? No, beloved, maybe it's a test. Maybe it's a test. You think any of this happened without his knowledge? He spoke everything to existence, he holds all things together. Satan has to get permission from him to do anything. Maybe it's a test for us to stand up as His people and begin to shine some light in the darkness rather than keep the light in and tell the world to go to hell. Because quite frankly, that's what we've done. We need to shine a little brighter. Maybe it's time we wake up a little bit. Shake off some of the sleepiness that Satan has gotten in our lives. There is more. There is so much more to this than just this. There are people dying and going to hell. There are people walking in exact opposition to the scriptures and bringing people down with them. It's time maybe we stand up. Two ways this morning that we could do that. If you have turned from Ephesians 6, maybe you'd like to go back there. Look at the instruction. He says, Number one, stand. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13 Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. We stand. We stand in His truth. We stand in His righteousness, His gospel, His faith, His salvation, His word, these things that make up the armor of God. We stand on the principles of the truth and we do not move. We don't move. We don't concede. It doesn't matter what this world may say. It doesn't matter if they legally According to their little laws, redefine marriage or gender or abortion or salvation or baptism or the church. It doesn't matter. We stand on what the scripture says and we do not move from that. We stand on, thus saith the Lord, and we change it for no one because it's his word. It's not mine, it's his truth. And we stand firm on it and for it, and let us not stand silently. Oh, let the world hear our voice as we proclaim Him. Let the world see His light through us as we stand in His power. You can't do it. He can through you. You can't stand when your family gets ticked off at you. You can't stand when your employers want to take away your job. You can't stand when the government may say, Hey, you cannot have church anymore. We cannot stand in our own power, but we can in His as He works through us. We can stand firm and say this means more. It's about Him and His truth. So we stand. Secondly, we go. We go. That's the standing command to His church that He gives in Matthew 28, right? Go, make disciples. Listen very closely to me. <clears throat> What you need to understand, what I need to understand, this is not an issue of gay versus straight. This is not an issue of gender confident versus gender fluid. This is not an an issue of pro-life versus pro-choice. The issue is lost versus saved. Lost versus saved. This world needs Christ. They need His salvation. They need the new birth that comes from Scripture that comes from His blood, that comes from His Spirit. They need to know Him to be born again. Satan has blinded the hearts and the minds of the world. That's what 2 Corinthians 4 tells us. To keep us from seeing the light of the Gospel. He's kept them away from the light of the Gospel. There's this sin nature that dominates us, that enslaves us, that leads us away from God. What we need to understand is the world doesn't know any better. They need the gospel. Just the same as you and I needed the gospel. Because it is the gospel that transforms us. Turn to 1 Corinthians 6. I want you to see this. You probably know these scriptures, but I want you to see it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, those who practice sex outside of marriage, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, as homosexuality, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. He says, you guys were the same. This is where you used to live. But ye are washed. Ye are sanctified, but ye are justified. In the name of Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Christ changes lives. He brings us out of a sinful lifestyle. It doesn't have to even be one of these. It could be lying. It could be any sin that keeps us from Him. He changes lives and brings us out from the world, brings us out from death into peace and life. It is the Gospel that transforms lives. This world needs Jesus. Listen, We could stand lining the streets with signs about protests against abortion and all of these things going on. Those might do some good. Nothing will do as much good as sharing the gospel with everyone who we come in contact with, along with standing for the truth, but going to, to see that they might hear about Jesus. They might hear about salvation that waits for them. We are, we have the command to go into the world proclaiming Him because that's what the world needs. Can I leave this thought in your mind? They need us to love them. Not to treat them as if they're a different creature. Not to hold them at arm's length. And get all weird. And quiet. That's a shame. No. They are a loved, precious creation of God made in His image, precious to God in need of redemption, just the same as you and I, and that redemption God in love has provided for them. What this world needs is to hear and to see and to feel the love of Christ in and through us standing firm for scripture standing firm for truth yes but doing it in love reaching out in love even if they reject and yes even if they may scream in our face we still love because god loves too often when it comes to things like this we're passive We'll witness or we'll try to shine if somebody comes to me. I'm not going out there. Don't you, have you met these people? Don't you know what they talk? Don't you know what they do? I'm not going out there. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold on a second. When has witnessing been on our terms? When has witnessing been the easy route? Did Jesus say, stay right here and uh, I'll bring people to you? He says, go. Get a Go. In fact, angels have to come along. Hey, guys, why are you staring up into heaven? There's a job to do. Get going like He told you to do. We've come to the day where we want to take the easy route. But I am sure glad Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Maybe it's time we begin to seek and to have Jesus save that which is lost. Mary Magdalene was glad Jesus talked to her. The woman at the well was glad Jesus talked to her. Matthew the tax collector, Simon the zealot, Paul the murderer, Saul of Tarsus. Some pretty shady people. We might just walk by today. Legion. Maybe it's time we begin seeking some people. Maybe we ought to stop being armchair quarterbacks. Griping about the state of the world and telling how we could solve everything. Maybe it's time we wake up, get on our knees first for a tender heart for the ones around us, a broken heart for the broken around us. And then go get up and go into the darkness, shining the light of Christ. God still saves. He's not dead. He's not off the job. God still saves sinners who are lost. The blood of Christ is still effective and it will be forever. He still changes lives. He changed yours, didn't He? Changed yours. And maybe we see more lives changed if we we're more diligent to seek them out. And that starts with me. That starts with you. So the question is, will we? Will we stand? Yeah, it's dark. It's not good. It's not easy. But I tell you what, light always pierces darkness. 100% of the time, light always pierces darkness. I don't care if you're in the deepest, darkest cave. You spark a match, it's going to light up. Or if you light a blowtorch, it's going to light up even more. Which one are you in the world? Well, that's going to be up to you. You can be a match. I'd rather be a blowtorch. Shining the light of the gospel everywhere. I want no one to be under any false impressions what I believe about the Bible, who Jesus is, and what Jesus can do for them. Whether we do that or not, that's up to us. But I'll tell you right now, the light will always pierce the darkness. Some may run. Some may reject. and Some may be saved. Maybe we ought to stand firm in His power and go bearing the light as the lighthouse that we are. We are the light of the world as Jesus shines through us. The question is, will we get up and will we go? Let's bow our heads. Father, I come before You and I ask You for strength to be the witness that You would have me to be to the world around about, Lord. You see all, you know all, you know exactly what's going on here in our country and the laws and the depravity that is around us. Lord, I ask that you would give us grace and you would give us strength and give us boldness to stand as a light in this present darkness. That we would stand for the truth in your word. What you have clearly stated and what you have clearly called us to, Lord, that we would be a light to all those around about us. To those individuals in our lives that might be struggling with sin or consumed by it, that we would share the gospel and that, Lord, that you would open their eyes and they might be saved. That we would see a revival in our own hearts and a revival in our own minds as we go bearing your light and your truth to the world around about us, Lord. We might have to wake up first. Help us to just bring us to, to life in areas that we've become dead in and we've become lax in. Lord, just revive us through the power of Your Spirit, Lord. And Whatever might stand in the way, maybe it be fear or other things, that You would remove that, and that we might boldly go to the world, Lord. So I ask now that You would move in our, in our hearts as only Your Spirit can do and draw us to what You are calling us to. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.